Matthew chapter 14, let's turn there. And while we're turning, I want to thank you for participating in the Canaan Women's Fellowship fundraiser and thank Brother Cherry and Chris Cherry for the, uh, his work and leadership in that. He just takes something that would be an overwhelming thing to most all of us and he, with ease and enjoyment, jumps in and, and makes a, such a great meal and it just, uh, it's been a blessing and, and I was glad to see, I think it was great Sunday morning uh, making that available. And there were many who were able to participate in it this past week who had not before, simply because they didn't know about it. And, and I'm glad for that. And we'll plan on doing it again uh, another week at least, and uh, maybe a little bit more. But thank you for, for uh, helping us with that and grateful for that. Matthew chapter number 14. It's a great chapter. And we see um, the 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 segments here and basically three segments in Matthew 14. The, the earlier part deals with John the Baptist and wondering about whether or not John made the right decision. John's concerned and um, he's beheaded and now others are wondering, did John make the right decision? Did we make the right decision? And one of the great emphasis of this passage is the answer is getting to Jesus. They could just get to Jesus, it would help maybe settle the questions and the doubts. Then you have another section here where they have a multitude and they don't have anything to eat. The disciples said, send them away. And Jesus said, no. Verse 16, you feed them. They said, we don't have anything. And they brought five loaves and two fishes. And we know the story. He multiplied and took care of the need. In the beginning message, we find getting to Jesus is the answer. In that middle section, dealing with the feeding of the 5,000, it's whatever we have, let's give it to Jesus. And he can take that, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem, and he can do wonders with it. But I want us to focus on verse number 22 and following, and we see this third section of this chapter. So let's stand together and we'll read this great passage, very familiar passage. In verse number 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. And that's right after this great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 plus. He constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him and to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, thou, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. 
And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And that's another emphasis here. You know, there are seasons that we find ourselves in, and we've looked at those. There's a season, uh, many different seasons of our life, and, and we've looked at the season of loss most recently. And tonight I want us to see the season of the storm. There are times you're going to find yourself in a storm. You might find yourself in a storm here tonight. Well, there are seasons in which that will happen. And knowing some things in the midst of that is certainly liberating. And I believe Matthew gives this to us here in this passage. And I want us to see it tonight in the season of the storm. Thank you. Please be seated. In the Bible, the sea often represents forces of evil because of how powerful, how uncontrollable, how deadly. You can remember the sea um, in, in different places in the Bible, the Red Sea, the place in which a miracle took place, but a place that was also very powerful and deadly for the Egyptians. Think of the crossing and the closing of that Red Sea the emphasis there. Think of the, the, the storm in which we find Jonah, the calming of the storm, the huge sea creature rescuing the prophet by opening and closing its God-directed mouth. Jesus walks on the sea. He controls the sea. Only God controls the sea and walks on the waves, metaphorically and literally. Jesus controls the sea and he walks upon the waves. And therefore, when we see this, we, we understand the significance of this is, this is a frightening thing, but God is wanting to take frightening things and do something so that it becomes a faith-building thing. Now, John records the reason that Jesus was in a hurry. The Bible says in verse 22, straightway he dismissed the crowd and he sends the disciples back in the boat. And John is the one who tells us why in chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. And that's because the Lord knew the motives of the crowd. And that is their motives were not spiritual. And their purposes were out of God's will. If the disciples had stayed with the crowd, the disciples likely may have gotten caught up with the plan of the crowd, and, and, and that is to, to uh, uh, whisk away Jesus and, and, and lift him up in a way that would make him the greatest and the most popular. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, Jesus knew there was something wrong with it, and it was because his popularity 
it was not with the right motives. His popularity would have been just because he gave them food. He was able to do miracles. I mean, it's, it's like this, these meals we do on Tuesday. I mean, it, it's, it's wonderful when you have a magic cook who can produce these. But if you let Captain LeBee and, and me do it, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a pity fest. And it just, uh, th- this isn't a good thing. And, and they see what Jesus did and, and Jesus knew this is not good, this is not. And this would be great for every preacher, and not just preacher, but every, uh, every uh, spiritual leader, Bible fellowship leader, and, and any deacon, anyone who serves, just because you get people who like you and will flock to you does not mean that that's a good thing. Because whatever you catch them with is what you have to keep them with. And if it's built around you and what you can do, then that's not going to be the answer that they need. Oh, the answer was Jesus. But they weren't not wanting his kingship. They were wanting his miracles. And so Jesus had to send the multitude away. He also had to send the disciples away. So the experience of the disciples in the storm It can encourage us when we go through the storms of life. We can rest on several certainties in the midst of a storm. And I I will let you know this is not original with me. I found great help in going through this a number of years ago. And Warren Wearsby gave these, these simple points of certainties in a storm. And I've often uh, clung to those in the midst of uncertain times. And so I want to give these to you tonight. The first certainty we can see in verse 22 when you're facing a storm is that it is God who put me there. It's God who brought me here. Notice again in verse number 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other Side. See, the storm came because they were in the will of God. Not like Jonah. They were not out of God's will. They were in God's will. Did Jesus know that there would be a storm coming? Well, certainly he did. And so he deliberately directed them into the storm? Yes, he did. See, those disciples and you, and me are safer in the storm in God's will than on land with the crowd outside of God's will. Don't ever judge your security in a situation based upon your circumstances. As you read the Bible, you discover different kinds of storms, two basic storms. There's the storm of correction or discipline, and then there's the storm of equipping. When God disciplines his children, he will oftentimes send a storm. Can you think of a time when that happened? Yeah, we'd mentioned him. The book of Jonah. It was a disciplined kind of a storm. Why? Because God loved him. God was correcting him. God chastened him. But then there's the storm of equipping. When God helps his children to grow. 
Jonah was in a storm because he disobeyed, but the disciples were in a storm because they obeyed. And God was perfecting them. Remember what we said in John 15, those who bear fruit, he's going to make sure you bear more fruit. Those who don't bear fruit, he's going to correct it. He's going to lift up that vine. Both approaches, whether you're, you're needing correction, you need perfection, both require hands-on activity. God's not going to leave you alone. God is in the midst of your life. He's going to help you. He's going to correct you or he's going to perfect you. And these disciples were right where God wanted them to be. He tested them in a storm before uh, when they were in a boat and he was in a boat with them. And they thought they were going to die. He's asleep and they thought he doesn't care. Well, he tested them. He was testing them. He was trying to build them. He was trying to prepare them. They didn't know all the things that were going to be down the road, but he did. And so he's preparing them. Now he's preparing them in a boat once again, on the sea once again. This time he's outside the boat. But either way, he's still using a storm to prepare them. Now, too many Christians mistakenly believe that obedience to God's will produces smooth sailing. And there's where you have a lot of the, the health and wealth and prosperity preaching that takes place. But remember what Jesus said in John 16, In the world ye shall have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. When you trust and obey God, it's not that you're going to find smooth sailing, but what you will find when you trust and obey is that you'll find God's will is wonderful. Yeah. Romans 12 and verse 2, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what you'll discover. What if it's a storm? You'll find it's good and it's perfect, and it's acceptable will of Almighty God. He calls it the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. And so when you're in a storm and you're trusting and obeying God, you can rest on this certainty, he brought me here. He brought me here. I want you to see a second thought, and that is, he's praying for me. Jesus is praying for me. Where was Jesus when he sent his disciples away? Well, it says that in verse number 23, that Jesus went into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. You know, it's often, I, I, I enjoy reading the life activity of Jesus with the disciples, I get, I get a lot of encouragement because I find the disciples doing things and saying things and, 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 it's, and it brings consolation because I think, well, they say dumb things too. They did strange things as well. But then when I read of these times, Mark chapter 6 is another one where it says that Jesus goes out into a solitary place in Mark 6, verse 35. Here it says that he went out in the evening and he was there alone. I often wonder, what would that have been like? No interruption from weird disciples. 
from arrogant preachers because these were the same ones like us who are talking about which one of us is the greatest, Jesus. You tell us. You know. You tell us. You, you tell them which one of us is the greatest. That kind of a thing. I mean, you find he's alone. That intimacy with God. God experiencing God. Oh, it's an incredible thought. But another incredible thought is that he was there praying for those he just sent into a ship. He's communing with God the Father. Meanwhile, his disciples are in need of rescue. What happens? Jesus descends. He comes down from his communion with the Father. And he walks straight into that thick veil of darkness, the fourth watch of the night. This would be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And he walks on the sea. And he takes the same route that his disciples would have taken. He didn't come at them from a different direction. He comes the same way. And that dawn, while it's still partly dark, much like Easter morning, according to John 20 and verse 1, he rescues those who cry out. He saw the disciples. He knew their need. And he, just as he sees us, and he also knows our need, he feels our burdens. He knows what we're going through. Don't forget Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then, we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but it was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus was praying for his disciples. What do you think he was praying for his disciples regarding? I think he was praying what he told Jesus or what he told Peter he was praying for, that their faith would fail not. It is a faith issue. We talked about that Sunday night. If you knew that Jesus Christ was in the next room praying for you, would it not give you some courage to endure the storm and to do his will? I've said it before. I, I take consolation in, in being able to hear in the next room early in the morning while it's dark outside, I hear Dr. Childs pray. And I hear him pray for you. I hear him pray through the church family. I hear him sing. He's not going to be singing any specials anytime soon, but he does sing very specially in, in the room. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it's awfully encouraging to hear, because I hear him get a hold of God. I hear him get happy in there. We ought to get happy in the presence of God. But I want to tell you that Jesus is not in the next room. He's also in heaven right now, seated in the seat of authority, interceding for you. And his spirit, the spirit of intercession, his Holy Spirit is with you and will never leave you. See, he sees your needs, he knows your fears. 
He's in control of the situation. You can know this. He put me there. He put me in this storm. And he's praying for me. Number three. Wiersbe points out a, a third point, And that is, he will come to me. When I'm in a storm, he will come to me. Notice in verse number 25. Then came, excuse me, that's chapter 15, 14, verse number 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. See, Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to manifest his presence. He walked on the scene to get to the disciples to bring to them the reality of his presence. Just like in the upper room in John 20, after he resurrected on Sunday night, he appeared in the upper room so that he would bring to them the reality of his presence. No matter the difficulties in our life, Jesus comes to us in the stress of it. His presence ought to be our assurance. Not comprehending the reality of Jesus' presence in their distress, these disciples... They misread the situation and they were afraid. When they saw him, they thought he was a spirit and they cried out in fear. Why? Well, part of the reason I believe is because they were not looking for him. They were overcome by fear. And into their fear and despair, the Lord Jesus comes to them and he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Be not afraid. Often we feel like Jesus deserts us when we're going through hard times. He's not going to desert you. At times you find David complain that God seemed so far away and seemed unconcerned. But God was not that far away and he was always concerned. Jesus always will come to us in the storms of life. Isaiah 43 and verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. He may not come at the time you think he should. He may not come the way you want him to, but he will come. He waited until the ship was as far from land as possible so that all human hope would be gone. He was testing the disciples' faith, which meant he was removing the props out from underneath them. Why? Because without faith in God, it's impossible to please God. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Well, to show his disciples that the very thing they feared, the sea, was only a staircase for him to come to them. Often we fear the difficult experiences of life, such as surgery, bereavement. Only to discover that these are experiences that bring Jesus Christ closer to us. Why then did these disciples not recognize Jesus? As I mentioned, because they weren't looking for him. Had they been waiting by faith, looking by faith, they would have known him immediately. Instead, they jumped to false conclusions that the appearance was that of a ghost. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. Fear will always blind us to the presence of the Lord. And so may we 
be very careful and mindful when it comes to what is it that's gripping us. Is it fear or is it faith in God? Here, here's a fourth assurance that we can have when we're going through a storm, and that is the Lord's going to help me grow. He's going to help me grow in this. I may not like it. I may not like the roller coaster ride experience, but he's going to help me grow. That was the whole purpose of the storm, to help the disciples grow in their faith. We know that because you see in verse number 31, after Peter had stepped out of the boat, after he began to walk, and after he became afraid once again and began to sink, verse 31, Jesus stretched forth his hand, called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? See, Jesus would soon be leaving them. And they're going to face many more storms in ministry that was going to be far worse than this sea. And they had to learn to trust him, even though he was not present with them and it looked like he didn't care. And so John records Jesus walking on the water. Mark records Jesus walking on the water. But only Matthew records this aspect of Peter, because I believe he's emphasizing the nature of what Jesus was trying to teach them, and that was something about their faith. See, we see Peter step out of the boat, and we often can be hard on Peter, but we've got to understand Peter did exercise faith, and he stepped out of the boat. We, we congratulate Peter in doing so, but... We would say, oh, I wish I had faith like Peter. Well, we do. See, Peter's faith is not special faith. The Bible says if we have faith as the size of a grain of mustard seed. It's not your great faith, even though there we'll find a place in the Bible where it speaks of great faith. It's not the size. It's not the, how special the person might be. It's the object. Peter didn't walk on the water because he was great Peter because it's the same Peter who sinks a little bit later, the same Peter who denies the Lord. He walked on water because the one who is the master of the sea told him to walk on water. Jesus commanded Peter or gave him the authority when he said, come. Peter simply put his faith, his trust, his dependence upon Jesus and Jesus enabled Peter to do what Peter could not otherwise do. You say, well, why does he say, oh, thou of little faith, if he's not talking about size? Well, the word little there is the same word that's used of time. I think what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, why did you have such short-term faith? Why did you trust me for just a few steps? Why could you not trust me with the other steps? Well, it was easier when there was no wind and, and storm blowing. Well, why was it easier when things were smooth? And Jesus was still God when it was smooth. He's still God when it's a blistery storm. Peter, why did you have short-term faith? Why could you only trust me with ultimate dependence in the midst of the revival meeting? Why didn't you trust me once the revival meeting ended? 
And there's no choir singing, there's no special music, and there's no con congregation around to make you feel more bolstered and lifted up. Why couldn't you trust Jesus no matter the circumstance? That's what he's saying to Peter. Why? Because he's trying to help him grow. Remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But it's also, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but it's also, I shall not fear. Why? Because he goes on to say, you're going to make me lie down in green pastures, therefore I don't have to fear famine. You're going to lead me beside still waters. You're going to prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, so I don't have to fear enemies. I'm going to trust you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I don't even have to fear death. What is the nature of your faith? What is the nature of a disciple's faith, a follower of Jesus? What is the essence of their faith? Doubt not. Fear not, trust always. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith. I really don't think it's a definition. We often say it's a definition. I'm not sure it's a definition. Because the Bible says faith is. He's just telling us here's what it is. I think Hebrews 11.1 1 is a description of faith. Faith is dependence. And it's described as the conviction of things not seen. I'm convinced that Jesus is God. Not because I see him, but because he says so. Before we criticize Peter for sinking, let's honor him for his demonstration of faith. But let's think about what caused Peter to sink. It's the thing, same thing that causes us to sink. His faith began to waver. Because he took his eyes off the Lord and began to look at the circumstances round about him. So Jesus asked in verse 31, why did you doubt? What, what, what was it that gave you reason to doubt? What about me, Peter? D changed. D did I lose my authority? I'm still standing on the water. What more do you need, Peter? The word for doubt carries the meaning of standing uncertainly at two ways. See, Peter started out with great faith, but he ended up with a lesser faith because he saw two ways instead of one. Now again, we give Peter credit for knowing he was sinking. He didn't cry out for the Lord when he was beginning to drown. He cried out when he was beginning to sing. And, and one of the, the things I, 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 I long for God's people to do is put their faith in God. Don't doubt. Don't waver. Yes, the sea is going to rage. Yes, the waves will billow and roll. But don't doubt in the dark what God has confirmed in the light. And when that does happen, when the storm comes, don't wait until you're sinking and drowning. Don't wait until you've about lost everything. When you begin to recognize my faith is slipping Cry out to God for deliverance. He cried out when he was beginning to sink, not when he was drowning. 
And perhaps this incident came to Peter's mind years later. We're going to get to this on Sunday morning down the road. 1 Peter 3 and verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Trust them. Trust them even if the storm does not subside. Trust them. Well, let me give you one last one. Wearsby says here's a fifth truth we can ascertain in a storm. And that is number five. Well, number one, he brought me here. Two, he's praying for me. Three, he will come to me. Four, he will help me grow. Number five, he will see me through. He will see me through. He said, what if it kills me? Well, Paul said, I, I think about it this way. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, he says, I'm a winner because with Christ you cannot lose. See, if Jesus says come, you can trust him to accomplish his intended purpose. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Whatever he starts, he completes. We may fail along the way, but in the end, God will succeed. See, Peter's experience turned out to be a blessing to the other disciples as well as to himself. When they saw the power of Christ, they recognized the authority of Christ. And what happened when Jesus and Peter got back into the boat? They worshiped. Do you know why I'm convinced, uh, I'm going to go ahead and answer my own question, do you know why? But I'm convinced that the reason people struggle on Sunday morning with bending their knee and bowing in worship is because they're not convinced that he is who he says he is. I, I'm, when you see him walking on the storm that made you afraid, when you see him with the authority to calm the storm and to rescue you, you're not going to sit there in the pew and say, well, you know, my, you know, my arthritis is really getting to me. You know, I, I, don't, I just don't know that I need to bow. I don't, need to, I don't think I need to do all of that kind of stuff. Now, I don't see any, the Bible does not say anyone was excluded from worshiping when he got to the boat. Why? Verse 33, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Did they not know that he was the Son of God before? Oh, sure they did. But it's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to know it. And God did something that was so real. That's why we're saying in this study on Sunday mornings and our theme for the year, it's not knowing him intellectually, it's experiencing him. The disciples, they had helped feed 5,000 people and God permitted them to go through a storm. In the book of Acts, they won 5,000 people. And in the book of Acts, you find the storm of persecution that comes into their life. Do you think that they were able to victoriously make it through the persecution storm in the book of Acts? Yes, they did. Yeah, read the rest of the book of Acts. 
How was it that they were able to handle the persecution that was so great, much more great than the winds and the waves? Because they learned the lesson of the storm. See, this is a miracle that magnifies Jesus Christ. Every miracle magnifies Christ. Don't minimize miracles. Young people, don't don't minimize an opportunity to see a miracle. Because every miracle magnifies Christ. Jesus is calling across the stormy waters of your life. He's crying out to you saying, try me. Trust me. Test me. Take the step. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible He does the things others cannot do. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you're the God of the impossible. You're the God that does wonders and miracles and you're the God of the storm. There are seasons in our life where we face a storm and I'm thankful for the certainties and oftentimes we feel lost in in the darkness. We feel uh, the, the, the... dread of doubt when things come upon us they scare us they take us by surprise and Lord would you help us to experience you in these days where it is smooth sailing so that we won't forget to experience you in the storms in the season of the storms so help us I pray